forth on biblical thought is that sexual intimacy is more important than other kinds of intimacy, that somehow it becomes the most important thing. And of course, our culture places it that way. Everything seems to be driven along those lines. Some of you will be watching the Super Bowl this afternoon, I should say some of us. And as we do so, right, as a small group, we can fellowship together and do that. But that's for another time. Nonetheless, we're going to have to be very careful, are we not? As we watch. Because the world will be promoting inappropriate thinking, inappropriate thoughts. And so we will have to be very careful to, to set those things aside, even as we seek to pursue something the Lord uh, has given us that we could enjoy, a football game. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And if you'll stand, I'll be reading Matthew 5, 27 through 30, but I will also then be moving us over to Romans chapter 6. So please stand with me as we read from the Word of God. We are beginning in the Sermon on the Mount because that is where the foundation of our, our sermons have come from, and yet we are, have broadened that out a bit as we talk about the sin of adultery because of the pervasive nature in our society We've taken some time to really pursue what it means to be holy in this vital area. And so I pray that as we read these words and as we consider this truth, that it would be our heart to reflect the purity of our Savior. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now turn over to Romans 6 as we consider the nature of sanctification, how we might live out Jesus' command to pluck out our eye and cut off our hand, as it were. Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Please be seated. As you well know, the enemy of our souls, our culture, and our sinful flesh are continually on the attack to destroy purity in relationships, to destroy marriage, and to destroy the very nature of the maleness and femaleness with which we were created. 
And the church must stand apart from the culture in calling all men and women to the joy and satisfaction in Christ through humble repentance and faith, which will enable us to pursue purity with diligence and delight. We're not speaking when we come to the Sermon on the Mount. We're not moralizing. Well, people should, they should stop being angry. They should stop committing adultery because those are bad things. Well, they are bad things, but there is no way that someone who has not been regenerated by the Spirit of God can truly comprehend why they are even bad. And they cannot comprehend how it is that they might please and honor their Savior in putting those things aside. All of these things we do in light of the sacrifice of Christ, in light of bringing glory to our God. This is our passion. This is our, we love to do this, and only believers love to do it. And so if you, if you missed out on the first parts of the Sermon on the Mount, and you kind of stepped in as we're talking about purity and not committing adultery, if you don't understand the nature of your heart, that you are poor in spirit as you come, all of the things that Jesus mentioned as entrance into the kingdom and continued pursuit of kingdom living, then the first thing you need to do is pursue Christ. And as you pursue Christ, then as you, as you humbly respond to him in repentance and faith, then you will be able to actually live out these truths that we are then pursuing. The idea that our righteousness should be greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees because their righteousness was merely external. Their hearts were not regenerated. They did not put faith and trust in Christ. And what we'll see this morning as we continue on in Jesus' teaching about the nature of adultery is that adultery of heart is a dangerous and devastating sin which must be combated by the joyful, radical application of biblical truth in our thoughts and our actions. Adultery of the heart is a dangerous and devastating sin which must be combated by the joyful, radical application of biblical truth in our thoughts and our actions. Now, we are continuing on really in the middle of the last lesson. And so I'm going to bring us through a review of that and hopefully I'll also provide you the outline of the things that I moved through so quickly last time. So you have have them written down if you didn't get them before and we'll pick it up essentially filling in the outline again after point three. But I think it's necessary to review. If we're going to flee immorality, and remember that's the first side of not committing adultery. There are two sides to it, certainly. There's a putting off of immorality, a putting on of glorifying God in our body. And so we've been focusing for the last several weeks, on what it means to flee, what it means to put off sin. And next week, by the Lord's grace, we will look at what it means to pursue righteousness in this area. But for now, we've been dealing with the negative side. And first and foremost, as with any sin, if we're going to put it off, we have to believe properly about it. If we think the way the culture thinks, if we've allowed our thinking to be to be tainted by what unbelievers think about these things, then we will not be able to, to properly uh, have affection for God in these ways, and we will not point our will towards the things of God. So the first thing that we talked about in fleeing immorality was that we must replace unbiblical beliefs about sexual intimacy that lead to adultery. We can't just fight this at the point of, like, I shouldn't commit adultery. There's a whole series of things going on in the heart when we are impure sexually. And so we've been trying to work through all of those things, beginning with our thinking. Because remember that our renewed intellect, our renewed mind, is the place in which we are able to understand concepts and principles which lead to obedience and which fan into flame the affections that the Lord has placed within us. So the first uh, unbiblical belief about sexual intimacy we have to put aside is that it is somehow unspiritual. That somehow to, to pursue or to delight in sexual intimacy in the proper bounds is not something that the Bible would have for us to do. And yet we demonstrated from Scripture that God has granted us, he's given us sexual desire, and he's, he's commanded us to, to put it in the right context and to delight in it in the right way. And yet he has given it to us really as a picture of the intimacy of Christ and his church. The second 
uh, unbiblical belief is that somehow sexual intimacy is my right. Although these things are commanded in Scripture, when you try to stand upon our rights, I will demand this, I will have this, you must provide this, or I must get it in ways, we begin to step out and try to exhibit it or try to have it in ways that are unspiritual. Third is, the third wrong belief is that sexual intimacy is acceptable outside of marriage. It isn't in any form, in any way, at any time. The Bible is clear that the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Fourth unbiblical thought is that sexual intimacy is more important than other kinds of intimacy, that somehow it becomes the most important thing. And of course, our culture places it that way. Everything seems to be driven along those lines. Some of you will be watching the Super Bowl this afternoon. I should say some of us. And as we do so, right, as a small group, we can fellowship together and do that. But that's for another time. Nonetheless, we're going to have to be very careful, are we not? As we watch. Because the world will be promoting inappropriate thinking, inappropriate thoughts. And so we will have to be very careful to, to set those things aside, even as we seek to pursue something the Lord uh, has given us that we could enjoy, a football game. Right? The, the world thinks and says, really, physical intimacy is where it's all at, and then everything else is kind of after that. The Bible says they all come together, physical, spiritual, emotional intimacy. One must not be elevated above the other. And I, I need to keep reminding you of that because we are focusing on physical intimacy and so it may seem that I'm ignoring those other things. I'm not. It's just that we need to focus on this because this is where Jesus has us, considering adultery and how that happens. Then the, the fifth unbiblical kind of unbiblical thinking that we identified is that sexual intimacy is only desirable or profitable for men. The scriptures are clear that sexual intimacy has a spiritual benefit equal to both men and women, even though the physical experience for men and women will be vastly different. Not so much about the physical experience of it. It is that physical intimacy is something that brings a spiritual blessing in equal measure to men and women. Again, even as it is experienced differently in, in a, from a physical standpoint. So those are the thinking, that's the kind of thinking we have to put off. Because you have to think rightly. Always the scriptures command us, Romans 6, consider, think, understand, know. We're to be transformed in our thinking so that our will will be properly directed and our affections will be properly exercised. But next, we must also identify the heart attitudes that lead to adultery. So as we think rightly about physical intimacy, we must also be careful to guard our hearts against these kinds of, of heart attitudes, which will lead towards sin in the sexual arena, which will lead towards adultery. Remember, those were greediness of heart. The Bible puts together greed and sexual immorality. They go together because, it, because our sexual morality is idolatrous desire. It is taking the sexual desires the Lord has given us to be exercised properly and greedily seeking to exercise them somewhere else. And if you are greedy in other parts of your life, if you have a greedy heart, then you will certainly be greedy in your sexual desires as well. And then an arrogance of heart has to be set aside. Are you proud? We all wrestle with this. Well, you will put yourself in the place of God. And you, in your pride, you will say, I deserve to have these things. It is my right. And so instead of listening to him, you will listen to your heart, as it were, and you will fall into sin because of the arrogance of your heart. And this pride will be expressed in other areas in your life. And so as you identify pride, it must be, it must be killed so that you also will not sin in this area. Then there's an ungratefulness of heart. Remember what Ephesians 5 said, that instead of foolish talk and, and sexual innuendos, we are to give thanks. 
a heart that is not grateful for all that the Lord has provided, including anything that he has given, uh, whether you are single and, and unable to pursue your sexual desires, or if you are married and wrestling in those particular areas, the Lord is good in those things. He knows exactly where you are. He knows the condition of your marriage or your singleness, as the case may be, and he has placed you there so that you might bring him glory, and you are to thank him and praise him, even in the greatest of difficulties, as we will see. If you do not have a grateful heart, then you are on your way to sexual immorality of one form or another. Then there's this purely the ungodliness of heart, where there is no desire to truly be holy. You think that somehow you will keep from sexual sin if it is not your passion to be holy, if you do not long to look like your Savior, if you do not long for every thought and every attitude and every desire to be conformed to his image. I mean, that's, that's the calling of every believer. If this is not your heart, then you certainly are not going to keep from sinning in, in the area of sexual intimacy. I mean, that one's, gonna, that one's probably going to get you first. And ungodliness of heart will lead, of course, ultimately to the kinds of sins that, that are involved with idolatry, lustfulness of heart, and actual committing of the act. But then remember that I said, I'm pretty well convinced that the vast majority of you don't desire to have a greedy heart, an arrogant heart, and a grateful heart, or an ungodly heart, that most of you are working on those things, that you long to never commit any kind of sexual sin, and yet there's another attitude of the heart that will kill you if you don't defeat it, and that is laziness of heart. We are sluggardly. We have desires after godliness. The sluggard desires good things, but he never receives them because he is lazy. He will not exercise diligence unto the delight that he desires because he has not put into practice and put into place the principles necessary to accomplish it. We call this spiritual discipline. And remember, it's really delight. Anytime you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, you are in fact finding satisfaction in God, which will fan into flame your affections. And really remember that an affection for God was placed within your heart to even drive you towards those things. So it all works together. Spiritual discipline to help you overcome your laziness of heart brings all the other delights of a heart that follows after God. And it will help you to pursue holiness, to be grateful, to be humble, and to be satisfied so that you are not greedy. Then thirdly, we must combat temptation of heart that leads to adultery. Because remember that even when we are we're battling all these things, thinking rightly, even when our heart attitudes are trying to bring those under control, that there will be temptations that arise in our minds and in our hearts. This is what the Bible says. You will be tempted after sin. And as long as we remain within this body, this is what will happen. And so we have to learn how to recognize that temptation, first of all. Because there are things that we do and think that we don't even, we just, we don't even recognize the temptation is coming. And so when we're not prepared for it, we just give in to the temptation, as James says, the temptation or the lust conceives and gives birth to sin, and we weren't even aware of the temptation. We just went from temptation to sin right, without even carefully thinking. We always thought. You never do anything that you didn't actually think about. It's simply that you think about it really fast, and you've gotten in habits of behavior that just lead you right from temptation into sin almost instantaneously. We talked about learning how to resist the second glance, refusing to think about any person you have seen in any impure way. And so as a desire rises up in your heart, if there would be anything impure, that you instantly keep that captive, the Bible says. That you never allow any lust to conceive to give birth to sin. This is what James says. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when they're carried away and enticed by their own lust. There's a temptation that comes from lust. But then he says, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. We capture that temptation. We do not allow it to take heart, to, to take hold of our hearts. 
And as we put that thought away, then we are able to keep the temptation from forming or turning into sin. And it's a good thing. I'm thankful to the Lord that he allows that, that we can take our thoughts captive so that that temptation, that lust, does not become sin. We do not allow it to conceive. He's given us the resources to do this. Remember, Jesus always did this perfectly. Every temptation that came to his mind, what happened? It was captured. He was tempted in all things as we, yet never did that temptation ever conceive to to sin. And that's what he calls us to do. That's what he calls us to do the exact same thing, to radically deal with anything in our hearts and minds so that it does not turn into, in this case, spiritual adultery. And then we talked about learning to take hold of the power of the Spirit. And, and to some degree, I hope that we didn't, you know, you didn't just blow by this one. This is the Sunday school answer, right? Well, you got to pray. You got to read the word. You got to fellowship with the saints. Stop. It's the Sunday school answer because it is the right answer. It's what the Bible says. Prayer is our humility before a holy God, which says, I'm, this is too much for me. This temptation is too much. I won't take it captive. These desires are too strong. I won't exercise them properly. I cannot do this on my own. Lord, help me. Cry out to the Lord. If you're not doing that, you will never defeat this sin. You can have all kinds of fences. You can turn off your TV. You can throw it away. You can move to, you know, you can move to the deepest, darkest Africa, or maybe up to the South Pole that might be safer. It's not going to help you. You got to cry out to the Lord because in the power of the Spirit only are you able to take these thoughts captive and deal with these sins. You must pray. James is clear. If you lack wisdom, that is, how do I deal with this? What do I do? If you lack power, he says, ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. Maybe your problem in this area is that you're too proud to pray. Or maybe, as I've stated before, you're too lazy to pray regularly. See, there's the thing. Well, I prayed about it once. It's not sufficient. It won't do it. I've prayed about it a couple times. Is this sin dominating you? Are you working towards this sin? Is this an area of, of struggle? Well, then you should be on your knees constantly. Really, this is true of any sin. Taking it to the Lord. Your prayer life is going to really improve if you recognize that you have to pray about the sins you're wrestling with or you're not going to have power over them. It's not just self-control that will do this. It's spiritual discipline. It's spiritual control, which comes the gateway of that is prayer and then the word of God. So you're going to have to immerse yourself in the word of God and its principles. Romans 8.13 says, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, how do you do that by the spirit? You pray, and then you take the principles of the word of God, you understand them and apply them through your will to whatever issue you are wrestling with, and that's being controlled by the spirit. I commended to you, I have commended to you in the past in the email that I sent, that you might memorize a large portion of scripture to help with this particular sin. Now, portions of scripture will help you with every kind of sin. And I'm not in any way commending scripture to you as some kind of mantra that you rub some beads or quote something and, and that you blank out your mind so that you won't sin. No, you memorize scripture so that as you work through it, you understand the principles, which then you can direct your will towards so that your affections are fanned into flame. And I commended Romans 6 because of its beautiful stepping you through all the principles that relate to putting away sin. What shall we say then, says Romans 6, 1? Are we to continue, we believers, to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. That'll stop a lot of your sin right out the gate. Well, you know, I'm lonely or my spouse hasn't provided what I need, so I have the right to sin. May it never be. You have no right to sin. Well, I'm under grace. Well, the verse I just read you in Romans 6, if you get all the way down to there, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Romans 6, 15. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. 
Thanks be to God that though we were slaves of sin, we became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which we were committed. Romans 6, 15 to 17. If I need this, and I desperately need it, I think you do too. And so I commend it to you. I can't memorize that much. Okay, carry the card around. Do something. Read it. Work through it. Don't make excuses. You need the scriptural principles that the Spirit of God will use to animate your affections and desires to get rid of sin. You also need fellowship and accountability with other members of the body of Christ. You cannot hide these sins. This has to be done properly. That can be, that can be wrong accountability. We all just get around and, and, and kind of, you know, blurt out our sins in, in ways that really help other people sin. It's not that. It's careful, well-directed and guided accountability that brings sin into the light and does not allow it to fester in the darkness, which is what it does. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's so deceitful. Men, you need to be getting together with other men. Ladies, you need to be talking to other ladies so that you work through these things. Husbands and wives, you need to be accountable to one another. Children, you need to be accountable to your parents so that you're working together these things so that you do not fail in these areas. And then number four, you need to learn to engage your intellect, to exercise your will to change your affections, or really maybe to direct your affections, I should say, because when you come to Christ, all of these things are changed. Your intellect is renewed, your will is changed, it's set free, and your affections are are inflamed. They're they're pointed towards Christ. That all happens together. But the Bible is clear that the way we access our affections largely is through the intellect and will. Look at the Romans 6 passage. It is fascinating how many times scripture says something like this, Romans 6, verse 11, even so, and that's on the basis of all that Christ has done, all that the principles that we have of being unified with Christ, buried with him in his death, raised with him in his resurrection. See, you thought those things were just, you know, seminary student doctrines. No, what does he say? You need to know that so that you stop sinning. You need to know that so that you can be sanctified. So he says, even so, consider yourselves... Think carefully about, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You think properly with your renewed intellect. You understand, I'm free from sin. And then it says, you do not go on, verse 12, or verse, yeah, it says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. You exercise your will. You're thinking properly. You know you don't have to be dominated by sin, that it's been nailed to the cross, that you're one with Christ. And so you say, I don't have to let sin reign. And so you exercise your will so that you do not exercise the sinful lust. And you do not think another thought. And you pursue Christ. When that happens, it goes on to say, and do not go on presenting the members of your body as to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Here's my eyes to look at impure things. Here's my hands to touch things inappropriately. Any of those things. But you present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Where are the affections here? Read verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. That knowledge, does that not fan your affections into flame? That God poured out his grace upon you, that which you did not deserve. He lavished it towards you, your proper thinking, right exercise of your will, the, 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 the affection for Christ that comes from his grace, all of those work together so that you might overcome your sin. But I will say this. I do think sometimes we get confused. We're supposed to delight in the Lord and all over in scripture, it tells us to do that. And you are. But we're like, how do I turn on the switch of my delight? 
Because I'm going to be telling you, particularly next week, that you have to delight in the Lord more than you delight in your sin. How do I turn on that switch? Where's the delight switch in my heart? Here it is. Proper thinking about God and who he is and what he's done on the cross. Proper direction of my will according to those principles. It fans into flame my affection. That's how you turn on the switch of delight. Again, that switch already has to have been, as it were, put in the on position. You have to have have a regenerated heart that longs to love Christ. But you don't just access your affections. Boom, I delight now. You think carefully. You direct your will through principles of Scripture. And your affections then begin to be inflamed. And they, in turn, drive your desire to know more and to exercise your will more and to love more. And it all comes around together. So I, I commend that to you. Are you wrestling with delighting? You're not thinking carefully enough. You're not, you're not understanding what God has done for you. You need to press on in that. You're not exercising your will and obedience, and so you don't delight. And then as you delight more, you will do those things more. Randy Alcorn, as we says, he wrote an excellent book, The Purity Principle, for men. Pick it up. You should all get it and read it. He says, the truth is sexual sin never comes out of the blue. It's the predictable result of natural processes. By naturally, means the things that go on, go on in your heart. Relationships are neglected. A mind gets exposed to impurity. Tomorrow's character is made out of today's thoughts. Temptation may come suddenly, but sin doesn't. Neither does moral and spiritual fiber. Both result from processes over which we do have control. And again, he says, your sanctified mind, fed on God's word, nourished by his spirit, polices your thought life. It says yes to what pleases Christ and no to what doesn't. That's good. And that's exactly what the scripture says. So in kind of summary on how we, how we use our renewed intellect to direct our will and fan into flame our affections, it works like this. We consider and believe by faith the truths and principles of scripture. That includes Christ's work, God's nature. We determine to direct our will and thinking and acting according to those principles and commands. We declare to God then our desire to have our affections direct us towards the proper objects in obedience and faith. And God takes that and he fans into flame a love for him and obedience for him that overcomes this sin. And of course, every other sin. Psalm 119.35, make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Or I long for this. So help me walk so that I might continue to love it more. Number five, if we are to to put off this sin, if we are to flee immorality, we need to learn to dwell on the disaster and devastation of this sin. Yes, I said that. Not not morbidly dwelling on it, not, not being afraid every moment and wallowing in the devastation of this sin, but carefully considering it before you enter into it. Scripture leads us in this. Proverbs chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there. We've been here before, but I want you to see that Scripture is not shy about pointing out the devastation of sexual sin, and that means you need to carefully consider it with your renewed mind. Think of the devastation that will come if you pursue pornography, if you are cold towards your husband, if you romanticize with these fantasies that will take you out of your present situation. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is a father giving instruction to his son, but it applies to men and women. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my wisdom that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. She does not ponder the paths of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. 
Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength. Your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I've not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Consider carefully the ruin of sexual sin. I'd ask you to consider the days and weeks and months or sometimes years it will take to recover from failure in this area and how much time and energy you will have to take (coughs) in doing so. I urge you to think of your children watching you do this thing or hearing about what you have done and what they would think. I urge you to think of the, of the harm that this will bring to the body of Christ as they consider your godless and harmful behavior. And I urge you to consider the grief of your Savior who died for you as you would consider pursuing this sin. You need to think about these things. They will help you. And they will guide you away from a path that will certainly lead to destruction. Now hear me carefully. God forgives this sin. This is not the unforgivable sin. God will restore you and he will work in your heart and life to recover. But the consequences of this sin are devastating and they are not just done away when forgiveness comes. They are oftentimes life devastating. Please be so careful. Young people, married couples, singles, older people. There was a man in my seminary one of, an, an older teacher who taught at the seminary, who two years after I left committed adultery with someone. He taught at the seminary. It's an older man. And no one, no one is, can escape this sin if they're not careful. Six, and this is what we'll focus on mostly next week. Learn to have greater pleasure in pleasing God by turning from your sin than indulging in that sin. This is what you're going to have to do. It's not the same kind of desire physically, but it's a spiritual delight, a spiritual affection to turn away from the sin. And you long to delight the heart of your Savior, and you know that he is pleased. And so instead of entertaining the thought and and, and, and indulging in lust, you find pleasure not from the lust, but from the joy of knowing your Savior will be pleased as you turn your thoughts away. It's a lot of thinking there, isn't it? It's a lot of recognition. Wait a minute. No, my Savior will be pleased if I turn. I mean, isn't that what we instruct our children? That they would delight to turn from sin because they love us so much? doesn't seem to happen very often. <laughs> but you guys, that's what we want. We don't just want them doing what we say. We better do it, even only from the negative side because that you might get harmed if you do, but because of the delight, that you would delight the heart of your father by doing what is right. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access 
a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.